One day we're going to stand around the great throne of Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of all the world, the King of the universe. And we're going to be singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a beautiful name it is. I look forward to that day. But in the meantime, we live in an age of great purpose. Jesus, in Matthew 13, starts to tell some stories about what this whole age for the next 2,000 plus years is going to be all about. And the people didn't really get it. They didn't really understand it. Most people don't. But he explained it to his disciples those who were already trusting in him, those who were putting their faith in him, he would explain the parables to them because he wanted them to understand that this next 2,000 years is going to be called, is going to be this church age. And on this, on this rock, I will build my church. And these disciples were going to be the seeds of that church. These parables describe what happens to unbelievers and to believers during the church age. And this next parable that we're looking at is called the parable of the weeds. And in a single parable, Jesus lays out exactly what's going to happen to those who reject him. He stays with the farming theme. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower, remember? And, he, and the sower cast out a seed and it fell on four different kinds of soil, three of them were unfruitful, unproductive, didn't really grow. One of them was good, and that represented the good soil of, of the good hearts of, of people who were open to the gospel, and they listened to the, to the word of Christ, became a child of the king. Well, staying with the farmer, farming theme, now Jesus gives a parable about, about how the flourishing seed grows up alongside the weeds. And that's what we've seen for 2,000 years, is that the flourishing seed grows up alongside the weeds. In fact, we're seeing, we're seeing it in full force these days of how big and how nasty these weeds can be. And he likens the good seed to wheat and the bad seed to weeds. Let's look at the scripture in verses 24 of Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came out to him and said, Sir, didn't, didn't you sow good seed in, the, in your field? When did, where, where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he said, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds, Tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This good seed that 
the sower planted in his field was completely capable of germinating, of growing, and of bearing good fruit. Okay, it was the wheat. It was going to bear good, fruitful wheat heads. And while everyone was sleeping, everyone meaning all the servants who were part of the planting process, the planters, they were legitimately resting after a long, hard day's work. In secret, this enemy comes along and sows, plants, weeds among the wheat. Now, this is an interesting thing that would have been understood by the people. They would have, they would have known about this. Uh, if there was, in fact, it was so common a thing for an enemy, somebody who was kind of against you, to come and, and fill your field with wheat seed, Romans actually had a law against it. And there was a penalty be, to be paid that if you were caught sowing uh, this, this weed into the wheat fields of, of somebody, you could be punished. So the enemy operated in stealth and secrecy. Now the weed that Jesus is probably talking about is probably Darnell weed. Darnell uh, grows in the same kind of soil, the same kind of conditions as wheat does. So you can spread it out there. And in fact, it looks a lot like wheat until the head is formed, until it grows big enough for the head to be formed. And uh, it's also called false wheat because it looks almost identical to wheat when it's young. It's a noxious weed. Sometimes it's called poison ryegrass. And it's dangerous to eat and it can harm grazing animals. And the servant said, you sowed good seed. Where did, this, where did these weeds come from? Where did this darnel come from? Because there wasn't just a few. They, they wouldn't have been shocked otherwise. You can always expect a few weeds in your wheat field. But the whole field was full of these weeds. And they go, should we go and tear them up? They're going to ruin the crop maybe. And Jesus, or, or the sower, the, the farmer, the, the landowner, says, oops, <laughs> says, no, 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 we're, they're too close to the wheat, they're too entangled, their roots get entangled, you'll damage them. You may not be able to accurately discern which is wheat and which is weeds, and you could end up ripping up the weed and, and leaving weeds untouched. The servants were not to pull them up, the reapers, later on, the reapers will come, they'll separate them, they'll pull everything, they'll separate them, they'll bundle up the weeds, they'll throw them in the furnace, and then we'll have wheat left. Then in verses 36 to 43, Jesus explains to his disciples the meaning of the parable. Verse 36 says, Then he left the crowd, went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Now you need to understand something about this. Jesus sent the multitude that was around him. You know, he was sitting in a boat on the lake. Uh, because the multitude was so great, there were so many crowds, you know, there's such a big crowd, that there wasn't room, everybody crowding around. So just to kind of create this little amphitheater kind of effect, he gets into one of the boats and he pushes out a little bit. Now he can see everybody and he teaches them all these Matthew 13 parables. Okay? Well, he sends all of them away. He doesn't explain any parable to them. He just gives them parables. They go, oh, that's a nice story. Okay, and he sends them away, but those who are already trusting in him, believing in him, had their hearts open to him, he's going to explain it. And they go back in the house, probably 
Peter's house in Capernaum. Um, the only people who went back into the house were believers. God reveals his truth to his own. Some things are spiritually discerned. You need to have the Holy Spirit to discern them. Verse 37, he answered, the, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. This is where he starts to explain the parable. Starts to explain, okay, this is what each part of the parable represents. So first of all, the sower is the son of man. In other words, the sower is Jesus. Son of man is the, uh, it's the phrase that Jesus most often used to refer to himself. And he rips it out of Daniel uh, chapter 7, where all through Daniel, he, uh, in verse 13 especially, he refers to the Messiah as the Son of Man. That was a messianic term. The Messiah, the coming Savior, the, the Christ, was called in the Old Testament Son of Man. And it represents his incarnation, which means carne is a flesh, a meat, okay, like a carnivore is a meat eater. And uh, in, incarnation means the in the meat, <laughs> in fleshment, all right? That was Jesus. He was the God in the flesh, incarnation. And we'll be celebrating his incarnation uh, come Christmas. That's what we always celebrate is God becoming flesh, becoming a man. Uh, it represents his humanness. Jesus is 100% God, but 100% man too. It represents his participation, his identification with us as humans. The reason that Jesus was able to die on the cross for you and me is because he represents you and me as the perfect human, right? And he represents God taking the punishment for our sins upon himself. He's the second Adam. Adam literally means man, <laughs> And he's the second Adam, the representative of mankind. The first Adam brought sin into the world. The second Adam, Jesus, brings salvation. And Paul refers to him as the second Adam. So Jesus knew it was a messianic title, and so did all the Jews. Okay? And he says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man and his servants. We can imply that from the rest of the story, that that Jesus is still sowing his good seed through his church, through you and me. Okay, he's spreading the, the good seed. But he says, this good seed, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Now, it's a little bit different than the first parable. Because in the first parable about the sower, the good seed was the word, right? The message of Christ, or the message of the kingdom. Now, it says the good seed are people. You and me. Well, let's get back to that. Verse 38 says, The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. So first of all, the field. The field is the world. You know what? I have got a bunch of sermon note guides on my desk. And I think it would be really handy for you to follow along. I e uh, Pastor Liz emailed those out to people so that they could follow along and uh, we've already missed some blanks so you're going to have some catching up on your homework um, to do because they'll be graded at the end and you don't want to get an F <sighs> and so Tony's going to go get those let's keep talking though you'll remember the field is the world remember Jesus said in his story 
there was a sower who was sowing sealed, uh, seed in his field. His field. I think that's huge. The field is his. It's his field. And he says, well, what's the field? The field is the world. It's his world. He owns it. Psalm 50 verse 12 says, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. He's the sovereign king of the earth as well as the rest of the universe. Colossians 1.16 talks about Jesus saying, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. They belong to Jesus. This earth, this is my father's world. This earth is his. It belongs to him. Okay, it's not like heaven belongs to God and the earth belongs to Satan. No, the earth belongs to God too. At this point in history, however, Jesus hasn't fully laid claim to his field, his earth, as he will at the end. If you go into Revelation, read Revelation 5 and Revelation 6, you see that there's a scroll handed to the Lamb of God. That's Jesus. Okay, and this scroll is like the title deed to the earth. And he starts opening the scroll one seal at a time. You know the seals are all these different uh, judgments and plagues that come out. And, the, and one seal at a time, he's opening these. And so at the end of the age, Jesus is going to reclaim his earth. He created it and will reclaim it. But for the present time, it's like Satan is here kind of like squatting, okay? He is like an illegitimate usurper temporarily occupying the throne of the earth. Like when uh, King Richard was off doing whatever he was doing, uh, uh, John, Prince John, was like a usurper pretending like he was king. Taxing the people, you know, Robin Hood, you've, heard, you've seen the cartoon. That's how I know. First John 5.19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole earth is under the control of the evil one. The whole earth is under his control temporarily. So the field, some people get confused and they say, well, the field is the church. It's like, no, Jesus told you what the field is. The field is the world. Well, yeah, but we interpret it as the church. No, <laughs> You're going to reinterpret Jesus' reinterpretation? No. No, the field is the world. If you try to say that the field is the church, you end up with all kinds of problems interpreting other things the Bible tells us to do, like deal with sin, uh, church discipline, uh, call out heresies and heretics. But Jesus in the epistles tells us to do exactly those things as far as the church is concerned. So get celebration of sin out of the church. Keep the church uh, uh, pure. Let the church stand for what it stands for. Okay, so we're to do that in the church, but not in the world. We'll get to that. The good seed then stands for the people of the kingdom, Jesus says. They are children of the kingdom. God sows his children throughout the world. The world is the field. The field is the world. What is a child of the kingdom? Child of the kingdom is... Is, I don't have this in your notes anywhere, but this is what he is or she. It's one who has made Jesus their personal king over themselves. That's a child of the kingdom. 
You've made Jesus your king. King, uh, Jesus is your king. Okay? You are um, allegiant to him. One who, a child of the kingdom is one who loves the king and his kingdom. You love the king. And you love his kingdom. And you love his church within his kingdom. A child of the kingdom is one who represents the king and his kingdom, like an ambassador of the true king in occupied territory that's been taken over by a false king. Okay? So that's what a child of the kingdom is. And so this is a picture of the church planted in the world, not the world in the church. Though to be sure, some of those weeds get into the church when we're to deal with them, like Jesus and the epistles tell us to. We are there in this field with the, as wheat growing up alongside the weeds to be matured by the trouble that the world gives us. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. It, the role of weeds in the world is important for the wheat. I mean, not in a real field, but in our case, it is. <laughs> that, that Jesus uses the trouble and trials that, are, that you're going through and that you're facing as a result of the evil that is around us as a way to mature you so that you will be complete. Verse 38, the weeds are the people of the evil one. Verse 39, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Just as the kingdom can grow, of God can grow in your heart, so can the kingdom of Satan. Darnell grows in the same kind of soil as wheat. Okay? Well, the kingdom of God can grow in the same kind of soil as the kingdom of Satan. So weeds are people, the children of the wicked one, Satan, the devil. That's what Jesus said. They're, they're, the, uh, they're people of the evil one. And the enemy is the devil. Uh, the word is diablo. Diabolos, which means adversary or Satan. Anyone who is not a child of the kingdom, I'm going to say something that you're not going to like, or you maybe you understand it and you're familiar with this concept and you've grown to accept it, or maybe it's always given you trouble. I was raised in a non-Christian home. Okay? But I thought my parents were basically good people. I thought we were basically decent people. We were. We, we obeyed the law. We paid our taxes, as far as I know. I didn't pay taxes back when I was a kid. Uh, you know, never got, parents never got arrested for anything. Um, involved in the community. Um, all that kind of stuff. We were basically good people. And Jesus comes along and says, well, there's really only two kinds of people. There's the children of the kingdom and the children of the devil. There's the children of God's kingdom and the children of the devil's kingdom. Now, people in, the, in, the, in both kingdoms, there's kind of relative, <laughs> relative goodness or badness. But he says, anyone who's not a child of the kingdom is a child of the wicked one. If you're not a child of the king, through your love and your submission to Christ, then you're still a child of the devil. And I was. 
you're still on his team. You're still operating under his basic control. And I'll illustrate this in a minute, but there's relative evil, but it's all under, this, under the Satan's rules. If you say, no, no, I'm not anyone's servant. I'm my own king. I'm, not, I'm my own boss. <laughs> well, that's exactly what the devil wants you to say. You're basically doing his bidding there. Okay? Uh, declare your personal sovereignty over yourself outside of Christ. That's what Satan wants us to do. It's the primary characteristic of all children of the devil. All servants of Satan say, I'm my own king, not the one who created me. The kingdom of self falls perfectly in line with Satan's kingdom. He is pleased and satisfied that you've decided to make yourself the king. It falls directly into his plan for you and will for your life because he knows that it'll keep you from Christ and damn you to hell forever with himself. So let's look at this little chart I gave you. It's actually kind of a big chart. Once I get on a roll of some things, I just can't stop. Uh, and I... And I think, oh, I should shorten this up. And it's like, no, I've got to say that. And so I just left it all in. So first of all, what, let's look at a contrast of the children of the king and the children of the devil. Because the theme of this parable is that two kingdoms grow up together. And so the point is that you are to distinguish yourself as wheat, not a weed. Okay, the point is you, that we are to distinguish ourselves as children of the king. All right, so what do children of the king think and how do they act and what do they, uh, what do they say? And what do children of the devil say? Well, first of all, a children of the king, child of the king will say sin is bad. A child of the devil says sin is fine. And sometimes it's even good. In fact, <laughs> you know, after all, everything that's fun is sinful. It's like, boy, you go to church and they take all the fun out of life because... Now you can't ruin yourself with drugs. Oh, rat, rats, you know, or, or ruin uh, people with, with illicit sex and just going all over the place. Okay? Children of the king say, no, 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 that's, sin is bad. Children of the king say, sin is of, therefore of great concern. It's a, it's a big deal. Children of the devil, they say, don't worry about sin. People in the church, I hear them say, no, no don't worry about sin. It's like, you're not acting like a child of the king when you say things like that. Uh, children of the king are striving for righteousness. Children of the devil, basically striving for self-fulfillment. Okay? It's a different striving, a different motive. Children of the king say, I only want to please God. Children of the devil basically say, well, really, I only want to please myself. Children of the king say, I want to be holy. There's a desire for holiness. Children of the devil are basically saying, I want to be happy. Is this the motivation of your heart, by the way, to be holy? Or is it more along the lines of being happy? And I'm hoping holiness will get me there. Children of the king have a motive. I want to be holy. I want to please God. Uh, children of the king say, Jesus is Lord of all. Children of the devil, I'm my own boss. I'm my own boss. Children of the king, I worship God alone. It's to him and him alone, I worship him. That's the desire of my heart. That's the intention of my life is to worship God alone. Children of the devil say, well, I worship all kinds of things. 
Truth be known, money, sex, power, comfort, status, sports, figures, celebrities, etc. Children of the king say, I'm an ambassador for Christ's kingdom. I know what my purpose in this world is. I know my role. I'm an ambassador for the Christ kingdom in this world. This world as it is, is not my home. My home is heaven and the new heaven and new earth at the end. My home is the kingdom of God. Whereas children of the devil say, well, I just basically represent myself and my tribe. So it's us against them, me and my tribe. Children of the king are alive to Christ. Children of the devil are dead to Christ. Children of the king gratify the spirit. Uh, children of the devil are gratifying the flesh. The king's kids follow the thoughts of the spirit. The devil's kids follow the thoughts of the flesh. Children of the king desire what the spirit desires, the Holy Spirit. Uh, children of the devil desire what the flesh desires. Children of the king live by grace, and they delineate that from legalism and lawlessness. Okay? People put legalism and lawlessness on opposite scales, uh, opposite ends of a scale. But legalism and lawlessness are two sides of the same coin over here. Grace is something completely different. It's a different scale. And uh, so king, king's kids live by grace. Devil's kids live by legalism or lawlessness, depending on what serves the purpose at the time. Uh, so if I don't like what you do, I'm going to get pretty legalistic. Okay? If, uh, if I don't like what I do, I'll get pretty legalistic. Okay, but if I like what I do, then lawlessness is fine. Okay, that's a whole sermon. Spiritually discerns things of the Holy Spirit, kingdom kid. Uh, kingdom, uh, children of the devil don't comprehend things of the Holy Spirit. A child of the king would say, I'm a, I'm a fool for Christ. Child of the devil basically says, I'm nobody's fool. Except Satan's, of course. Uh, child of the king says, lying is a sin. Child of the devil says, lying is, a is useful to accomplish desired ends. Child of the king says, when I sin, I need to quickly confess and repent. Child of the devil would say, there's never a need to repent of anything because sin isn't that big of a deal. Refer to page one, right? Child of the king says, sin and righteousness are defined by God and translated by the Bible. God is the one who decides what's good and what's bad. And it's translated there for us in the Bible. Whereas child of the devil say good and evil are defined by culture, personal preference, and they're translated by media and academia and laws and court decisions, above all, and celebrities. Okay, you see the difference? Huge difference. Do you know uh, a lot of people who call themselves Christian who fall in column B? Have a lot of those thoughts? Have a lot of those attitudes? The Lord sows subjects of the king into the world. Satan sows his own subjects into the same world, and some of them even in the church. But of course, we're trying to reach people, and so we expect that. But be careful about claiming to be a Christian and holding on to uh, devil kingdom thinking. But the point of the sermon or the point of the parable is that we are co-mingled. There's wheat and weeds. 
And we're in the same soil, we're in the same environment, we're in the same field, we're in the same living conditions. We, we go use the same doctors, we're under the same political governments. Uh, we, uh, we have the same speed limits, we eat the same foods, we shop at the same stores, wear the same kinds of clothes. Okay, there's a lot of sameness on all that surfacey stuff. We're co-mingled, we're in the same environment, but we're qualitatively different people, as the chart says. Then Jesus talks about the harvest is where it will be all sorted out. The harvest is the end of the age. Jesus says the harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are angels. Jesus wants us to wait and be patient. Okay, wait till the end of this age, this church age. This end of the age is the final consummation and judgment of everything. Uh, don't yank out the Darnells the poison ryegrass, or you're liable to yank out weeds as well. Okay, you, you, we as the sower's servants, number one, we don't have the discernment to figure out whether we'd be uh, knocking off a Christian or a non-Christian half the time. Okay, and so we would, be, we would be pulling up wheat and letting weeds thrive. Okay, so we would be doing it wrong. Leave it to the reapers. They'll, they're coming later. They'll figure it out. Okay, uh, number two, we have a different role to play. We're not the reapers, we're the planters, we're the sowers, we're the growers. Okay, we are, we are here to represent Christ and we are here to mature in Christ. If you go about trying to judge the world without divine insight, you're going to wind up condemning Christians and Christian institutions and overlooking dis, dis, uh, deceiving sinful people and institutions. And we've seen this in church history. This has ha happened where the servants tried to be the, the reapers. Okay, some churches have decided that they were the only church, the only godly ones, so they went out and persecuted and even slaughtered the true believers. Uh, back, in the, back in the ancient times, the Catholics have, had done it to Protestants, Protestants have done it to Catholics, and Protestants have done it to other Protestants. Okay? God didn't call the Church of Jesus Christ to judge the world. He didn't want us to, in a position of political power to destroy unbelievers. We aren't in this world to establish a caliphate. God will do something like that at the end of the age through his angels. We are in the world to mature and to influence. We are not to attack the world. That is not our function. We don't have the discernment to know fully what is going on on the spiritual realm and who will come to repentance and who won't. So we're to grow up together. And Satan's going to sow and he's going to plant over, overplant his weeds, even in the church, because he loves imitation. But it's not for us to go ripping the weeds out of the world. We may need to cleanse the church of weediness, urging repentance and conversion, or at least stopping the weed influence on the wheat in the church. But we are not to go out and persecute and destroy the weeds in the world. Wherever in history the church became a political power, by the way, it always became corrupt. Trying to destroy the apostates, like in the Inquisition, or ex executing witches, like the 12 women and six men in the Salem witch trials of 1692, or massacring thousands of Muslims and Jews in the Crusades. Whenever the church 
became a political power, it became corrupt. The age of the church is not the age of judgment on the world. That's still coming, and Jesus and his angels will be in charge of it. Just think, how did, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and Roman soldiers and the repentant thief on the cross? He treated them with meekness and with love and kindness and forgiveness and healing. I mean, how did he treat Judas? Did he zap him with lightning? No, he took his bread and he, and he dipped it and he offered it, which is something you would do for the guest of honor. So here, Judas, what you're about to do, do quickly. <laughs> that's, that's what our professors always said to us in, in Bible school. What you're about to do, do quickly. Get going on your, on your papers. Anyway. The church age is the age of patience and tolerance and grace. God knows who will turn from being a weed to being the good wheat. Okay, we all started out as weed, weeds. Okay, in the right time. If we go out destroying people, we'll be out of line with God's plan. And God knows how many and who will be in his kingdom. And that's not our call. And we're not to damn them either. We're not to pray that God will destroy them. Bring down fire, Lord. We are to pray that God will save them. That is the theme of our, of our prayer vigil, our 20-hour prayer vigil next Monday is that God heal our land, God save people. I've changed my prayer. I used to pray, Lord, let the truth be known and the liars exposed. For the last four years, I've been praying, God, let the truth be known and the liars exposed. And the liars are getting exposed. Okay, uh, um, if you don't know that, then you're not reading, you're only reading one side of the news. Okay, you're reading mainstream news. Uh, there's a lot of investigative reporting going on that is telling you about, here's where the lies are. You know, it, it get into Epic Times or Red State and start reading their articles. And, and, uh, and their investigative journalism, they're not just opinions, they're not just uh, sensationalist uh, conspiracies. They're saying, well, here's what this said, and here's what this said, and here are the emails that are coming to light, and here are the, uh, the actions of the DOJ, and these kinds of things. I always prayed, God, let the truth be known and the liars exposed. And as I was getting ready for this sermon in particular about the wheat and the weeds, and realizing that all these weeds are the liars that need to be exposed, and that all this wheat used to be weeds. I changed my prayer. Lord, let the truth be known. Let the liars be exposed. And let them come to repentance in Christ. Let them be saved. Let them, let them find Christ. Heal our land, Lord. So we can't apply... Another, another thing about this uh, wheat and weeds growing up together, kind of a step, taking a step further, we don't want to destroy them, but really we can't even apply biblical principles that we live by to the rest of the world. We can't say, well, we need to get rid of these people, they're messing up our world. 
Because they're doing just what comes naturally. You can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. It's impossible. They don't have the grace of God at work in their lives. They don't have the foundation of forgiveness and a clean slate from, a slate from God to work from. They don't have salvation and the Holy Spirit within to, to empower them. They don't have Holy Spirit discernment of any kind. What they have is their worldly self-focused value system. They have worldly sense. What makes sense to them is a worldly view of things, not an eternal heavenly view of things. And so they're going to take their cues from culture, not the Bible. Trying to get them to behave like Christians is a futile task. That's why it's our main job to influence them toward Christ. We, we can call sin, sin, by the way. We can and should do that because uh, they need to know what it is. But don't expect them to turn away from it until they've been born again. We can work to defend the unborn, even to make the slaughter of innocence unthinkable out of our sincere concern for human life created by God, we can work to stop our own tax dollars from funding the heinous practice of child sacrifice, but we aren't to set out as vigilantes blowing up abortuaries or killing the child executioners or condemning the poor mothers caught in bad situations. No. We lovingly extend the gospel to all of them. And if the mom can't raise the child, we take him in. You know, Mother Teresa famously said, don't kill your children, bring them to me. Said, please. She begged them with tears in her eyes. Please, don't kill your children, just bring them to me. Bring them to me. And Christians as a group essentially say the same thing. Bring them to us. We'll find parents for them. We've established Bethany Christian Services, Karenet, hundreds of other ad Christian adoption agencies that will take care of both mother and child and place the children with parents who want them. And that's what we're about in the age of the church. Not yanking up the weeds, but extending the gospel of life and grace and forgiveness throughout the world to all who will listen and respond. So we're called to be patient. The harvesters are the angels. The angels are called to carry out judgment. This gets referred to several times in the Gospels and in the Epistles that it's angels who come with Jesus to do all this judgment and this uh, gathering, gathering of all of humanity and then sorting them out. We'll see that in another parable of the net a little bit, little bit later. Christians are called to witness and, and righteous influence. We can preach against sin and evil, but we must love sinners and evildoers. Be gracious. Be patient. Don't be judge, jury, and executioner. God is going to judge at the end of the age. The angels will be the reapers. And then he talks about bundling up the weeds and throwing, in, throwing, in, throwing them into the furnace of fire. And fire is always judgment. But we have to wait until the king comes back for this to happen. Second Thessalonians 1 says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished in everlasting destruction uh, with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might, 
on the day he comes to be glorified. That's the day that everything gets set to right. That's the day the weeds are pulled up and thrown into the lake of fire and everlasting destruction. That's the day all we who believe will, will be finally and eternally saved and bow down in marvel and awe at the glory of his kingly majesty. But for now, wait, be patient, influence, coexist until the judgment falls. Verse 43 says, Jesus says, the, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. In other words, pay attention. Listen up. Are you wheat? Are you weed? Are you a child of the kingdom or a child of the enemy? This is a time of patience and grace, but judgment is inevitable. It will come. So as wheat... We coexist in this world, but we want to influence them toward Christ. We're not to judge, condemn, blast the world. We're to love them. Love the sinner, condemn the sin. Let me give you two lessons that we've already talked about. Number one, the tribulations, opposition, persecutions, and testing that come from being surrounded by the kingdom of Satan are important for our maturity. God wants us clean and pure and strong, okay? And so testing and trials deepen you and make you mature in Christ, not jumping from mountaintop to mountaintop, you know, concert to concert, trying to, that's the way I used to live my Christian life. It's like I can't wait till the next till the next uh, IWIC, what was that? International Wesleyan Youth Conference. Can't wait till the next one. <laughs> you know, the next big party of Christians all together and get all pumped up. Not, can't wait till the next revival meeting. Uh, camp, summer camp to summer camp. You know, church camp to church camp. Uh, get all fired up for Jesus and try to live on that all through the school year. It's like, yeah, by the end, of, by the end of, the, of May, I'm a heathen again and I need to get back to camp. And it's like maturity, not, not that kind of thing. Number two lesson is that our role, our role in the church age is not to execute judgment on those who don't follow Christ. Our role is to represent the king and his kingdom. We represent the king and his kingdom to the world and compassionately influence them toward Christ. Be about Jesus. Be about Jesus. Have kingdom character in a field full of weeds. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much again for your goodness, your grace. We worship you in your glory. We look forward to the day when we will gather around the great throne and books will be opened and the book of life will be open and our names will be there simply because we're children of the king that we have fallen in love with Jesus and trusted in you and have voluntarily become wheat. God, I pray that everybody who hears this today will make a decision in their heart to, to have kingdom character 
and to live for you and to, and to weed out, so to speak, all the weediness that's in them. And I pray, God, that we will represent you well, lovingly and compassionately, but also truthfully and justly. And that you will use us to be an influence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to give to the church, you can grab your offering.